God, we're, uh, we're thankful that our church can gather together this morning, even if it's over uh, uh, online and um, Facebook Live and YouTube Live and all those tools. Uh, Lord, I pray, though, this morning as we gather together around your word that you would unite us, um, that, Lord, your spirit would uh, challenge us, encourage our souls, build us up. God, we're thankful for Evan and the preparation that he has put in uh, to teach us God's word this morning. We pray that your spirit would use him. Um, we pray, God, you would soften our hearts, that you would illuminate the scriptures to us, that as Evan reads from them and as he expounds upon them, and as we all think about your word, that, that, God, you would grow our faith. So we trust that you will do that. We pray for Evan as he does that for us. We love you, God, and we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Alan. Brother, appreciate you. Um, Grace Hill, it is good to be with you this morning, uh, even though it's virtual. Um, I'm um, sure this goes without saying for most of you, but um, as Alan has encouraged me uh, and just reminded and grateful that God provides uh, good leadership and between Alan, Nick, the elders, and just even the brothers and sisters here this morning who have led us, uh, we are just reminded of God's goodness and his abundance to us here at Grace Hill, just as the body of Christ at large as well. Uh, God is really kind. So uh, it's a pleasure to join what God is doing here at Grace Hill in this local church. And so my family, I know I'm speaking for my wife, Stacy, and my kiddos, they were eager to be able to be literally with you this morning, but a, a day will come when that happens. But what I want to do this morning is we want to just jump in to the Word of God because that is what is best for us. And last week, Nick led us through the scriptures on how we could become more outward focused and display the love of Jesus to our neighbor, even in the midst of the pandemic. And if you missed that sermon, I just want to encourage you, go check that out. Please go back and listen to that. It was a really important message that Nick uh, gave, uh, and the Lord used that message in my life and my wife's life already. And it's something we're still continuing to ask God to help us to have a love for our neighbor. Um, and that was really helpful. And so this morning, we're just continuing in our series, My Blank Home. And this week, what we'll be focusing on is My Chaotic Home. And when I use this term chaotic, here's, here's what I want us to think about. Here's kind of the definition, the working definition we'll use for this. It is, it is this. It is something that is disordered or something that puts us in a state of confusion or frustration, all right? And so before we jump into the text, what I want to do is just encourage you that if you have any questions about this message this morning, and I hope that you do, I hope that you have questions and what we're going to do is we're going to, you can go and you can go into slido.com, S-L-I-D-O.com, and you can type in the code 917 and you can submit any questions that you have. And what we're going to do is uh, continue our Q&A that we have every week after a sermon. And this week it'll be on Tuesday at 2 p.m. So you can join us live and that's when we'll discuss any questions that you have from the text this morning and we'll seek to try to push uh, into a little further, maybe the application or, hey, what does this look like in our lives together? So please do that and send in your questions. All right. As we have inevitably spent more time at home over the past seven months, 
Perhaps there's something that has been somewhat chaotic before the pandemic that has maybe multiplied or blossomed now that you've been home and in close quarters with maybe your family or your roommates, or maybe if you're even living on your own right now, that there's something that has blossomed and become even more disordered, maybe something that has caused you even more confusion or frustration in light of having to be in this circumstance that we find ourselves in. And so this could be just as simple as coming to your home and it's not as clean and as organized as you, you would normally like. For example, if you came to my garage, which is my responsibility in my family, you would recognize right away what the definition of chaos is. My garage is chaotic. It is out of order. There's a lot of disorder in my garage. And this is my responsibility. So my wife is the gift of organization uh, in our home. But I want to push this a little bit more to away from just stuff being disorganized or chaotic in our lives. I I would like to maybe think about this. Do you ever wake up in the morning? Do you feel like there's like 8,000 things immediately running in your head from the moment that you open your eyes? Do Do you feel like you wake up and you feel behind already and the day just started? And I know I've talked with some people and they go, I don't just wake up that way. I wake up constantly during the night just my head is spinning with stuff. Things from the day before, the things of the days ahead. And maybe, maybe you would consider your job as a, an area of stress and chaos right now or some sort of disorder. Maybe it's not going well. Maybe the people on your team that you're working with and the project that you're on, maybe those people aren't carrying their weight right now and you're really frustrated and, and things have become a bit chaotic within the project that you're leading or that you're a part of. And, and, and you just don't know what to do. Maybe your job is feeling really tenuous. Maybe your security feels wavering. COVID has struck your industry very hard and you are worried about tomorrow. You don't know what your job looks like over the next few days. So the question I want us to start with and go to the Word of God together with is this. What do we do with the chaos and the disorder in our lives? What do we do with it? And and the the desire that I have and I hope that God would bring out through His Spirit as we spend time in His Word is, 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 is really revolving around this. Might God have a design for us within the chaos of life? And might he be using that to actually grow something deeper within us, even in the midst of the chaos, even in the midst of my chaotic home? And so this morning, we're going to look at Psalm 127. So if you have your Bibles, please open them up. We're going to just spend the majority of our time there. We'll jump to some other places in the Word. But this is our primary text today. And what we're going to do and what we're going to see in this text is that God speaks to three very important facets of our life where I think chaos and disorder most often come about and often show up. It's in what we do. That's the first one. It's in our pursuit of security. And it's also within the family and even the desires for family and the desires for relationship. And for each of us, no matter where we find ourselves today, for each of these things make up much of our lives. And so within the text, we're going to see that we're faced with two choices in these three areas of life. Two, independence from God or dependence on God. 
Let's read Psalm 127, and I believe it'll be up on your screen as well, so you can follow along there. The, the, ver- the, the chapter is five verses long, and I'm mainly going to focus on the first two verses this morning. So I'll read the whole text, and we'll focus on the first two verses. Psalm 127 says this, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Father God, I give you thanks for your word. You remind us over and over again that your word is living and active. And Father, I know that this is a a, a challenging time for us. Even this morning, those who are tuned in, Lord, it's hard to be Uh, just engaged when we feel so distant from each other. And yet, Lord, we are grateful for the gift and the grace it is to actually even be together, even on a screen. And so, Father, as Nick has already prayed, Lord, and, and Alan as well, Father, we beg you to do the work that only you can do. And Father, we know that we are united even as we gather this morning from all across this community in Herndon and Northern Virginia and maybe even uh, across the country somewhere someone's tuning in. That, Father, we are united by Christ and your Holy Spirit. So, Father, we beg you this morning to encourage us as we get challenged from your word. And, Father, that we might, Father, Lord, give our chaotic homes and minds and hearts, Lord, over to you. And, Father, to trust in you. We ask this in the powerful and precious name of Jesus. Amen. So, in this text... This text is attributed to Solomon, and if you've heard of Solomon before, you might have heard that he was one of the wisest people ever to live. But if you know his story, you come to find out that he doesn't actually take a lot of his own advice that he is actually writing in this psalm. And so what we don't know of in the psalm is if this is before some big things went wrong in his life or after, whether this was a psalm written out of regret or if this was a psalm written as warning for him. Either way, what we are going to find out here is that through his example, we can see the choice to trust the Lord is always better than leaning on our own understanding. And so Solomon's mistakes are our opportunity this morning. So the text immediately sets up a choice. And this choice is to trust the Lord by depending on Him or trust and depend on ourselves. And so immediately the first question begs as we look at just the very first verse is this, how do we know if we're trusting in the Lord? And as I just thought about that, I was thinking, when was the last time I just stopped and thought, why do I do what I do? And maybe for some of us, it's been a long time since we've asked that question ourselves. Why do I do what I do? I think that's a really good question to ask ourselves. I think that's a probing question that the Spirit would use in us to help us discern whether or not we're trusting in the Lord. When we do things, are we mindful of our dependence on God? And I can maybe feel some of us in this moment kind of going, is this going to be this kind of mystical, like esoteric thing that we're going to talk about today? And I'm going to say yes in one sense, but no in a much larger sense. There's going to be some real practical, experiential things that God has for us in the text. 
Again, the text, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. So immediately we see those big three things in life happening already. The idea of building or doing something or doing things and then seeking to protect those things or to seek protection. Man, that's nothing new in the human experience. I mean, and it even makes sense that we would do those things. You build a home, you want to protect it, right? In fact, if you have children, you will know exactly what I'm about to say. My children build with their Legos, those little things that can cause unmeasurable amounts of pain if you step on them and they're laying all over the place. Those things that sometimes when they actually build them, my kids will defend with their last dying breath. Mommy, Daddy, Brinley broke my stuff that I just built. Their desire that they've created, they've built, and they want to protect that. And yet what the scriptures are actually saying here is, is it's using this word vain, and it uses it three times. In the Hebrew, it's referring to something, and here, get this, that is worthless. That's the actual Hebrew rendering for this word vain, that it's worthless or something that has no use. And so the question is, like, does it mean that we can't build things or that we shouldn't protect them? Of course not. That, that's not the aim of the text. And in fact, what we see in the scriptures, in Genesis 11, actually, it shows that people, humanity, can actually do remarkable things, can create remarkable feats. Look at this scripture. You don't need to turn there with me, but I'm just looking. Genesis 11. The Tower of Babel was a remarkable feat, yet its purpose, it's the why behind why it was done, was not dependence on God, but a pursuit of being like God. It was a dependence, an independence from God to be like him. And what we see in that story is that was a dead end. That was a worthless pursuit. God stopped that. And yet we can still see that building, protecting our desire for security, as good things as they are inherently, they can be pointless unless we're actually depending on the Lord. And so what we're going to see this morning is that this text actually offers us a warning and a hope, meaning we can work our fingers down to the bone, doing really, really good things, and end up with nothing of value. This, I believe, breeds chaos in our lives and in our homes. And what I think we want to we'll see, and my hope for the encouragement, is that we see that God actually wants to give us rest from depending on ourselves even in the midst of the chaos. In vain you rise early and you go late to rest. What do you get to show for that? What do we get to show for trying to depend on ourselves and working within our own strengths and giftings alone to eat the bread of anxious toil? Does this resonate with you this morning? Have you had a steady diet of eating the bread of anxious toil? Has your home life been chaotic over the past seven months? Are you finding it difficult to simply even sleep? Some might answer immediately, yes, Evan, I, that's where I am. 
Others may be sitting wherever you're sitting and thinking, I don't know, or I don't think so. Well, how might I even know if I'm eating the bread of anxious toil? Well, are you exhausted? Are you, you worn out? Are you working like crazy to earn or build security in your own life? And seeking to build and earn that security in, in a way that actually, if you think about it, you're not even sure how much is enough. Is my bank account big enough? Is the job I have have the ceiling or the potential for me to, to reach what I need or believe I need? Am I in a relationship that can provide the stability and security that I need? If not, I'm going to seek after that. Do you literally wake up early and stay up late seeking to prolong the day to seek to try to get more done on your own power? Well, if you do, perhaps you may be eating the bread of anxious toil. Perhaps those are indications that you are depending more on yourself rather than trusting in God. See, we can build things and seek to protect them, though they're not inherently bad, but we might even sometimes get the outcome we are actually desiring. We might actually get the money we think we need. We might get the job. We might get the spouse. We might get the children that we've always longed for, and yet we are still anxious. We are still not at rest. And if I'm honest with you, as I spent time in this word this week, I was telling my wife, man, I'm finding myself eating the bread of anxious toil. And yet I look around and go, what in the world am I anxious about? Yet I'm anxious. I'm worried. And some would say that, no, me, I'm just predisposed, predisposed to anxiety. And that is true. But what is true of all humanity is that we long and seek for those things. And this is a restlessness in our lives. This is a restlessness that all of humanity deals with. Worry over what's really secure. Worry about tomorrow. We know it's coming, but we're not in control of tomorrow. We're not even in control of today, yet sometimes we can believe we are. And yet, what's the sermon that you and I, as followers of Jesus, even this morning, what is the sermon that gets preached to us every single day, whether you're on Instagram, on your social media, you turn on the news, when you go to work, what is the sermon that our culture preaches religiously day in and day out? Is it not this? Three things. Work harder. Do more. And here's the nail, be better. Our culture preaches to us, depend on yourself. Our culture preaches to us independence from God. We don't need him. What we need is within ourselves. But Solomon is warning you and me in this text, isn't he? He's saying, listen, independence from God, listen, it breeds chaos and disorder in our lives. If we don't trust him, life is worthless. The things we do, though they might be good for a moment, they have no use, God says, in an eternal sense. Can I just be honest with you this morning? 
I know I'm asking us to trust the Lord here, but it's not me that's asking. This is the text that's drawing out as a warning to us. And if I'm honest to you, it's really hard to trust the Lord sometimes. I don't want to stand here preaching this word to you as if this is something that I, it's a strength of mine. As I've recognized and wrestled with the text this week over and over again, what I found myself even last night was just even in tears of going, I'm so weak here. And yet what I've been encouraged with is I think that's actually what God's longing for us to come to, is kind of come to the end of ourselves in this place of going, it is difficult to trust in me. Yes, Evan, friend, brothers, sisters, it is difficult to trust the Lord. To trust in the Lord and lean not on your understanding or my own understanding Man, that's my default at times. I think I must figure things out. I must understand them. And then I must seek to achieve a goal or certainly figure out a way to protect my goals that I think I am achieving. But this is not the rest that God offers. And so I said there's a hope that this text has as well. What is the hope that we find even in this text? It might not be what you're expecting. It wasn't what I was. The hope that we find in this text is this, is that God offers us rest in the midst of work. God offers us rest in the midst of work. God's inviting us to join him in his work. And it sounds odd, right? Like, wait, rest by working? I mean, what we see in this text is God's not saying don't work. He's also not saying overwork. Do more than you can do. He's actually saying, no, work. I've created work. Work is not a byproduct of sin. Work has been affected by sin. Genesis 3 says it's been subjected to toil. Resting in God equals trusting and depending on God. So the ability even to find rest, to literally find sleep at night is found by what? Depending on God. As we join God in his work, he shows us what his work is. And in that, he helps us to say, I don't want you to eat the bread of anxious toil. And so this brings us to attention this morning. You're going, Evan, what in the world? What, what, is this? what do I do here? We are to do things. And yet we are to trust in God's control. And I was thinking about an example of this, and I find it really helpful for me because I'm a really simple-minded guy. Um, and this tension that I think God is trying to ask us about, trust in my sovereignty, and yet I've called you to be active and, and to think and to dream and to, to give your effort and to, to, to toil even in a good way, but not toil in a way that equals anxious rest. Instead, so here's an example I thought of. I have three children, and, and they are at the age now, two of them, my boys, want to help with a lot of things. And man, I'm so thankful they want to help. Um, so for example, there was a couple years, we just moved, and we have a little bit longer of a driveway than we ever had. And um, I remember my middle son, he wanted to help me take out the trash. And we wanted them to get into chores and to do things, right? Because doing things isn't bad. Even though your children immediately will show you the human nature. I don't want to do that. I'd rather play video games. They don't want to work. I don't want to work can be hard. 
But Micah was helping me, and I was going to show him, hey, here's how we take the trash out, and here's where we wanted to go, right? And Micah was a little bit smaller than he is this time. And so what happened was, I was like, hey, I'll do it with you. And so what I did was, just like anybody, taking the trash out, you kind of help him. He got there, and he was eager to kind of help. So he put his hands up on this thing, and he was a little bit lower. But he, like, trying to push it down. It was a little heavy because it was full. So what did I do? I came over, and I tipped it down for him, right? So my hands were here, and his hands were in the middle. And then we just rolled it and began the journey to where it needed to go. Now, here's my point with this, and the example of taking out the trash with my son and this tension that God is bringing up for us this morning. In order to join God's work, what we realize is just like me helping my son get the trash out, there's a job that needs to be done, and there's work that needs to be um, initiated by us, so to speak, that we need to actually do real things. And yet, at the same time, there's a trust that, Man, this, if, I left, if I let go a little bit, my started got wobbly or it was a little too heavy for him. So what did I have to do? Man, I course corrected for him, right? My hands were still there. And even, even there was times he'd go, Dad, I got it. I can do it. I can do it. You let it go. And it's like, oh, no, actually you can't. So I'm actually going to help you keep it in the direction it needs to go. And you know what eventually we did? We got it to the place it needed to go. Now, could he have done that all on his own? No way. Thing would have chaos would have ensued on our lawn. Trash would have been everywhere. He may have, may have fallen on him. But the point I'm trying to make is here, and I think the example that we see, is that God, when we join him in his work, he's going to get the trash can to the end of the road. He doesn't actually need our help, but he's inviting us into that. So therefore, we get the, 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 the pleasure and the joy and even the rest of knowing, hey, I'm going to work hard, but even if I can't do it all the way, man, God's got this. There's a trust. There's even a childlike faith in the scriptures speak. Unless you're like a child, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. So God's inviting us into what he's up to. And so some of you might just be going, okay, well, that's cool, man, but what is God's work? Does that mean I have to change my vocation? Does it mean, maybe some of you are like, oh, good, good, good. I hate my job right now. So I'm, this, is, this is the moment. I get the, I get the, the eject button. Well, I don't, I don't know. But he, hear me. Jesus tells us in Matthew 6 what his work is. What your work is, regardless of your vocation, regardless of whether you're at home or you're uh, away from the home. Seek first the kingdom of God. And all these things, the building, the seeking of security, the family, relationships, all these things will be added to you What does it look like to seek God's kingdom? Well, the last thing that Jesus said to his disciples before he ascended into heaven, many of you are familiar with this. The last thing it meant to seek the kingdom was this, is to go and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey what I've commanded you and surely I am with you. Remember the trash can. Who's holding it? Surely I'm with you until the end of the age. So for you this morning, kingdom work looks like wherever you are, this is the call for your life. This is the work. So the vocation upon which God has given you, whether you love it or despise it at this very moment, wherever you are, he is saying, I am with you, even in the chaos. The harvest is plentiful, 
but the labors are few. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into the harvest. This is God's ultimate design for you and for me, whether you're a vocational pastor or you're a stay-at-home mom or stay-at-home dad, or you are traveling all over the world. Your call is to be sent out into the harvest and reap that. So even when things are chaotic, God wants you to rest and following him. Colossians 3 says, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. What does that mean? It means depend on God. Give thanks to God. So what's important for us to realize is that the focus is not here on our vocational calling as much as it is on who we find ourselves trusting in or what are we trusting in. John 4 says this, I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored before us. Others will labor after us. You have entered into their labor. What that's saying to us is the work that God's called us into to even find rest and hope in as we trust him is a work that he's already doing. Remember the trash can. He's going to use many other people along this long driveway of life to accomplish his ultimate goal. He promises that. And so this is a call for you and me this morning to trust that God will provide and accomplish what has already been laid out in front of us. And this is where we really do experientially, not just esoterically or mystically speaking, find rest. I mean, literally, why is there so many sleeping pill advertisements? Why? They're everywhere. We're so uptight. We're so wrapped around the axle. We so desperately want to be in control. So we toil and we eat the bread of anxious toil and we need help to just sleep at night. Solomon did this long before Ambien commercials ever started. And he's pressing us, he's warning us, but he's giving us a hope to saying, you can find rest. God wants to give us rest. Man, I'm asking the question, do you and I actually believe that? And see, we're reminded even in this text that even our sleep, even our sleep is a reality that God's still at work, that God is sovereign and in control. He made us finite. We must sleep. We are at our most vulnerable and weakest place when we close our eyes and we fall asleep. Think about that. Even when you sleep, God is at work. The advancement of his kingdom is still happening. And yes, while you are at sleep, it's amazing reality. So what's the encouragement in this text? What's the rest, again, that we've been speaking of and I keep getting so hyped up about? How how do we find that rest? What what does it look like to work to find this kind of rest? And I want to work to close with this. And here's the challenge that I want to lay before you, Grace Hill, and myself. I want to challenge us to do something this morning, and I want us to commit to doing something this very day. That there's a real response to the Word of God here this morning. Every day, from today till December 31st, here's my challenge to you and my challenge to myself. Would you consider the very first thing that you do when you open your eyes in the morning? And the very thing you do before you close your eyes at night and lay down to rest. Would you do this? Would you pray?
The disciples only asked Jesus to teach them one thing. They didn't ask him how to share the gospel. They didn't ask him how to study the Torah. But one disciple turned and said to him, as Jesus was praying in a certain place, one of them, the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And what was Jesus' response? I will teach you. When you pray, pray like this. Father, hallowed be your name. Right at the beginning, we are very simply and profoundly locked into what it means to trust God. The very beginning, Father, hallowed be your name. What we are recognizing and acknowledging in this prayer is that there is actually God. Our Father is actually present. His presence is with you and me. So when we open our eyes, our Father, when we get ready to go to bed at night tonight, that we close our eyes. But before we do that, we say, Our Father, you're with me. You're with me. Even in my chaos and disorder, you're, you're, you're with me. Your kingdom come. So we're acknowledging the presence of God in this prayer and we're also declaring war. We're declaring war, aren't we? We're praying and seeking and committing to deny the kingdom that we want for ourselves and instead we are praying that God, we want your kingdom to come. We want your will to be done and Lord, we, com we confess that only you can do that because on my own, I will, I will eat the bread of anxious toil and seek my own kingdom. I will do that and it will all be worthless. I don't want that. When we pray this prayer in the morning and at night, we are, we are declaring war and we are begging God to wage that for us on our behalf. And some of you might be thinking, okay, well, Evan, like that, that's cool. I'll, I'll try that. I'll pray that. But, but what's this anchored in? How, 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 why, why this challenge? Jesus is in a boat in Mark chapter 4. A furious squall came up and waves were breaking all over the boat. And so that it was nearly swamped and Jesus was in the stern and he guessed what Jesus was doing. He was sleeping on a cushion. And the disciples woke him up anxious and they said to him, Teacher, teacher, do you even care that we might drown? I can just imagine this. Jesus not eating the bread of anxious toil. He gets up. I don't even know if he rubbed his eyes. Maybe he rubbed his eyes. He rebuked the wind and the waves. Quiet, be still. <laughs> and the wind died down. And it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, and in these prayers as we are waging war, just like he's saying to his disciples, he's saying to you and to me, why are you so afraid, Evan? Why are you so anxious? Do you still have no faith? See, this prayer and this challenge for you and me is not one of a heavy burden. This is one to no, know actually of, of entering into a rest, <laughs> praying that God will advance his kingdom and his will will be done. And so we were going to remove, we're going to move Grace Hill to remind ourselves of the grace of God through Jesus, his life, death, and his resurrection, and the hope that Jesus gives to you and I. Jesus is our hope to not eat the bread of anxious toil.
Jesus is our example to look to the Father and to depend on him solely, forsaking the things around us, forsaking our own will. Father, would it be your will that you would let this pass? And Jesus in his humanity commits and says to the Lord, but nevertheless, nevertheless, no, my eyes are fixed on you, Father. That is best, that is good. This prayer orients our minds and our hearts around God and to be dependent on him where we don't need to worry ourselves with the outcomes of building and doing things and protecting things and seeking our family's well-being and the goodness of relationships. So I ask this question, and I'm going to close with it. Does God have a design in which the chaos of our life is really being used to grow something deeper within us? And my hope for you, my prayer for all of us, is that we would see that yes, Yes, indeed, just like the story of Jesus in the boat. He's like, do you not have faith in me? I'm in control of all things. So spend your life for the sake of my kingdom, where you're at tomorrow morning when you wake up and do the work that you have to do. I'll close with this. Solomon is really pointing us to this. Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find your rest. You will find rest for your souls. You'll find rest for your weary, anxious soul. For Jesus tells us, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God, I beg you to help us to understand what it means to join you in your work. God, I beg you to help us find rest from anxious toil as we depend on ourselves, Lord. And maybe some of us even today haven't even realized, God, how much we've just been depending on ourselves, Lord. Maybe it's been a slow, downward slope into just trust of self instead of trust in you. And so, God, would we heed Solomon's warning? Would we heed this morning your warning to us, God, to to not continue down that path, but, Father, instead to turn and fix our eyes as we even sang, Lord, that we would turn our eyes upon Jesus. He has started our faith and he will finish our faith. And that faith is a gift. So, Lord, why do we struggle so much to trust you? Father, because we don't believe that you actually have what's good for us. We actually believe our circumstances dictate more than they actually should. Father, I beg you to help us. Give us the discipline and the grace to wake up and to pray the Lord's Prayer. God, give us the grace and the discipline before we go to bed to pray that same exact prayer as we lay our heads down, reminding ourselves that even as we sleep and are our most vulnerable, God, you are at work. You're in control. We're so thankful for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.